Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How are you, Scott? You're right. Hey, good. How are you? I'm doing good. I got my first gig tonight in nearly eight months, so excitement levels are high. Oh wow! It's, <laughs> Congratulations. It's not a proper show. <laughs> it's going to be a streamed one, but it's going to be the first time I've been on stage right. performing, and yeah, it's it's been a long time coming. You have uh, something going on yourself this weekend, am I right? Yes, we've got the uh, Mr. Bungle live stream, and is that um, all done and in the can and ready to go? Um. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's always hard, it's isn't called, it, with these live streams because you, you you know, you want it to go well. So I feel like a lot of bands are they're recording it to a high level and making sure that everything's, you know, spot on rather than just doing it, you know, as a live thing and then having, you know, one. No, this is this is this is a live stream. I will say there are some pre recorded bits that if you watch it uh, you'll you'll understand. It's not it's not just a show. I can't give away anything else. There are some very random special guests, and uh, yeah. Um, so who you know because of COVID maybe you know can't be there when we actually play. 
Yep. But they were able to be a part of it due to the miracles of technology. Amazing. Well, I think anything that can be shared with the world at this stage is a positive, joyful thing, isn't it? I mean, how have you found this year? Obviously, you've been a touring musician for, you know, the best part of four decades. Um, how is it just being sat at home <laughs> twiddling your thumbs? I, mag- <laughs> I imagine an element of it is, is quite nice because you get to spend quality time with, with the family and, and regroup and, and, you know, kind of get some, get some downtime. That must have been nice to a point, right? You know, it, it, it's been a weird scenario. Uh, I'll start off the whole thing by saying, yeah, I, I do absolutely miss being able to play shows. Um, and, you know, all the, all the positives, because there have been positives since uh, March, uh, are very tempered by that the idea that we can't play shows and essentially you know we're being told what we can't do by this virus i don't mean by government or authority but because of covid we can't do it and uh, i'm someone who really never likes to be told what to do Uh, one of the reasons i wanted to be in a band one of the many reasons was i just never wanted to have a boss yep and now i'm being told what to do (laughs) by by something I can't even see, but, uh, um, you know, I, I'm half kidding when I, when I, I say that, but it is, it's, it's a huge frustration knowing that we're completely powerless over, over this whole scenario. And even, even the governments that have done the best and the countries that have had the best response to this pandemic, like you take a place like New Zealand, which you know, they shut it down quick. And I, I don't know that I, I could be wrong. Other people could probably Google the stats right now. Um, but I, I don't think they've had a case in months there, you know, and there, there might be a couple other places on the planet where they really did things correctly and they shut things down. And yeah, you could, of course you can say, well, uh, the United States or the UK or Germany or China, places like that are bigger than New Zealand with larger populations. But that's no excuse to me. So you just, you handle things in a good way on a larger scale. And who cares if you're, if the public gets upset for a little while? Because, you know, it's this, it's this attitude of, well, we don't want to wear a mask and I don't want to change my blah, blah, blah. And all these babies out there who like refuse to do the right thing to get rid of, who don't even believe that COVID exists. There's even those idiots. Um, uh, you know, it's people like that, that that's one of the many reasons why we can't play shows because the more idiots you have who refuse to uh, help put an end to this thing and refuse to even believe that it, it exists, um, it's just going to take everything longer to come back. So if you would just shut the fuck up and suck it up for a little while, We'd be able to get rid of this, and then everything you like to do in your dumb life <laughs> would <laughs> would be available to you again. Um, so uh, you know, even though uh, yes, I've been super happy about spending time uh, at home with my family. Uh, honestly, for Anthrax, we didn't lose that much touring this year. It was going to be an off year for us anyway. We had some shows in Europe. Uh, in the summertime, but nothing major. Uh, you know, we had some festivals, a short run, and we had a, 
some U.S. festivals. But this year we were going to be writing and getting into the studio. So just from a timing perspective, you know, it wasn't like uh, we were releasing a record and we had 18 months of shows planned and that all went out the window. I mean, I know there are bands that are in that situation. So, um, you know, from a timing perspective, things could have been much worse. But, you know, look, the bottom line here is uh, um, everybody just needs to do their part. Um, This shit's never going to go away if you still have idiots out there thinking it doesn't exist. You know, uh, um, they had that Sturgis bike rally here in America last month or whenever that was. It's this big bike rally in Sturgis, South Dakota. Four or 500,000 people showed up and people didn't wear masks. And now they're wondering why all these places in the Midwest and in the northern Midwest are having the worst breakouts they've had of COVID because everyone went there and got sick and brought it home with them. I mean, it's just the the stupidity of humans never fails to amaze me. It's the one thing I think I could count on in my life is that humans will never fail to be stupid. <laughs> I hear you, and I completely understand and agree with what you're saying about you know this idea of our freedom and our liberty has been taken away by this thing, and that's not to do with anti-maskers and conspiracy theorists and those morons, but as you say, it's like the things that we love to do through no control of our own have been taken away, and so it's trying to deal with that and process that, but then also be self-aware and you know show that you're willing to do your part to help this thing, you know, get yeah, and it's and it's. And it's not about you. It's about everyone else. Like, just, I mean, put on a mask because you don't want someone else to get sick. If you don't give a shit about yourself, fine. You don't want to wear a mask, whatever the thing, whatever your reason is for that. Um, but how about for one second thinking about another human, which is also something that most humans are really great at, is not thinking about anyone but themselves. And, uh, that's that almost makes me even more angry because it's like all right dummy you want to get sick fine i don't care but don't fucking spread it put them like wear a mask so yeah yeah and that's the thing government isn't telling you what to do it's it's the virus the virus has taken away your freedom that's what's done it and it's it's going to continue taking away your freedoms until you decide to be smart about it and uh you know, I, I, I just wish people would uh, people would wake up. I, I really, really don't understand what the uh, what the issue is. Where's home for you these days, Scott? Where are you living? Um, well, I've been in Los Angeles forever for thirty years, but um, my family and I came back east about three months ago because we decided we were going to sit out fire season yep. this year because we do live in an area where. Uh, wildfires are uh, they happen every year and especially in the past five years it's gotten worse we've been evacuated four or five times in the last five years so we made the decision that we just didn't want to there's enough anxiety yeah yeah for sure (laughs) in the world right now we don't need the extra unbelievable added anxiety of um, you know having our bags packed at the uh, next to our car in the garage because at any moment you in the middle of the night, you may have to throw the bags in the car and get out. Um, and that's something a lot of people, if you live in an area with wildfires, then you understand what I'm talking about. You have your go bags, you have your documents in a little file box. You throw that crap in your car and you get the hell out because 
it sometimes the minutes could make a difference of you living. So um, that's an anxiety we decided we didn't want this year. So we're back east, and we've been in upstate New York for a few months, and uh, um, it's actually snowing right now, which is like the best thing I've ever seen in a long time. So, um, yeah, and I think this is our plan for the future is we're just going to come back east in the fall and, and sit out fire season and then, you know, go home in December and uh, truly be bi-coastal. I think it's really interesting, isn't it? A lot of people have made changes to their life this year out of necessity, but I've found with speaking to a lot of people that those changes are going to remain in place when things return to normal because once you take the blinkers off and you're out of the lane which you've been in for X amount of time because you get into routines as all humans do, this whole thing has really forced people to to reassess everything, hasn't it? And I don't like to try and be too overly optimistic, but I do think that a lot of the stuff that will, you know, when this thing does subside and, and normality resumes, there'll be residues and things left over from it that I think hopefully will give people a different outlook on the world. That's certainly what I've found. I hope so. I, I hope so, especially uh, especially people, you know, 30 and under, 25 and under, the kids who are growing up in this. You know, I think about my son who's, you know, going to have this experience and hopefully at some point in the future him and his friends will be like, remember that summer of we when coronavirus, you know, like, I mean, some at some point it will be, uh, a memory, but like uh, to agree with you, yes, a memory that uh, um, makes people think about uh, the future, especially especially younger people, because this is they're inheriting this. So yep. you know, hopefully it doesn't get too bad before they're running things and they're maybe able to make changes around the planet, um, because you know the most of the constant charge. And, and that have been in charge for a long time have not done anything to make things better for the coming generations. Um, I could tell you firsthand, I live in a place, I've been where I live uh, in California. It, I wasn't worrying about wildfires till about five years ago. They were a thing that was super random and you really didn't have to worry about it. And then the last five years, um, it's been worse than it's been in recorded history. So, and it's uh, like an annual thing, right? Like it's almost like a given yeah, that it's going to yeah. happen. And it's gotten longer. It used to just be like in October when the Santa Ana winds come, that's when there's fire danger and it would be around for a week or two and uh, and you'd be in the clear. Now it's from August until it starts raining in January, if we're lucky. So, you know, to the not to get off on, again, I don't want this whole conversation to be... <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. You could, well. <laughs> you could turn on the shitty news if you want and hear this, but you know, if anyone's interested in my human opinion, um, if you're a climate denier, then again, go back to the first part of this conversation. Then you're an idiot. Amen. <laughs> so I'll, yep. I'll leave a bit of that <laughs> because I, I I live it and I witness it firsthand. How is it for you being back east then? Do you have a lot of memories from your past coming back? Like, you know, because obviously New York is very much where your musical and personal story begins to have been away from there for the large part for three decades. It must be a trip being back east. Do you find yourself getting a little bit nostalgic for those early days and, and thinking back to how this whole crazy thing got started? No. No? No. no. I, well, first of all, I'm upstate. I'm not in the city. But... um no, I mean I I come I come to New York enough 
uh, on a yearly basis where it's never, ever something I'm too far away from. Yeah. Um, whether it's uh, on tour or on vacation or just for or other business outside of the band. I, I'm in New York City many times a year on a regular basis. So, no, it's, it's really never something I'm too far away from. And, uh, um, it, you know, maybe that kind of nostalgia or that maybe – 10, 15 years ago, <laughs> I may have thought about it. I feel like uh, on the other end, of it, I, I am kind of like, I just randomly, I didn't even realize it till I saw on social media today that today is the 35th anniversary of the release of Spreading the Disease. There you go. Uh, and also, and, and then amazingly enough, the same day that this Mr. Bungle is being released. So uh, apparently October 30th is a good day for me. But um, um, so, yeah, I, so I did think about that for five minutes of like, wow, 35 years, you know, like that's, that's amazing, you know? And, uh, um, but I didn't, you know, I didn't go on a trip down memory lane, uh, uh or anything like that. I guess I asked because I know obviously Bungle isn't, you know, your band per se, but, you know, to revisit that material from, from 21 years ago for them, and you must have been privy to it, like a lot of history being, being re-explored. Um, I guess before we get into this record and everything that it entails and your experience of working on it, how does your friendship with, with Patton begin, when and where? Um, we met for the first time when Faith No More was opening for Metallica, um, I saw them three nights at a venue called Irvine Meadows. It was one of these big outdoor, uh, what they call sheds here in America, um, 15,000 like capacity. I saw them, this was in, I'm going to say, I believe it was September of 89, I'm pretty sure. And uh, I was already living in Los Angeles, so... Uh, myself, I want to say Frankie Bello was there too. I'm pretty sure he was out from New York and a couple of other friends. And we went all three nights to the Metallica shows. And I was already a Faith No More fan. I had been introduced to Faith No More originally by Cliff Burton. Because yeah, because he was pals he was with Mike, wasn't he? He was pals. With, yeah, Mike Borden and yeah. were really close. I met, I met Puffy. Um, I met Mike Borden at funeral actually is like the first time I ever met Mike or even maybe even before the funeral at uh, just at Kirk's house when I was out there for the funeral I remember meeting him but um I was already a Faith No More fan um so I was really excited about these shows this was Justice Tour for Metallica and uh, you know three huge nights in LA and um and with an opening band that I couldn't you know I was super excited to see it was gonna be my first time seeing them and uh how did they go over I with the Metallica them. fans Scott? Oh they went over they went over terribly. <laughs> um Epic Epic hadn't Epic hadn't broken on MTV yet. Right. And you know they were basically with Metallica because the Metallica guys were huge fans of Faith No More. Yeah. And uh um but no they were getting booed, they were getting shit thrown at them. Uh and my, all Mike Patton did the whole night was egg that on. Yeah, I was going to say I bet you love that. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> all you got you you pussies, come on, that's nothing, you, you know, you know, like just then he would spit back at the crowd and flip them off and yell at them. And and then it wasn't until uh, I think the last song of the night is epic. And then James came out and played the harmony guitar part with Jim Martin in that song. So, of course, that got a big roar from the crowd when James came out. But 
other than that, no, they did not go over well. Of course, within months of those shows, everyone who booed them uh, certainly bought the Real Thing record because that's, you know, then it it blew up and everyone bought it. So, um, but yeah, I met Mike. I met Mike at those shows backstage because, like I said, I already knew Mike Borden. So seeing Mike Borden there and then he introduced me to the rest of the band. So I, I wouldn't say we were friends yet but i met that's the first time i ever met him and then just over the years you know we would cross paths uh as you do when you're in touring bands playing on festivals together that's usually when you catch up with people that you've met over the years and uh you know festival season is like summer camp for band friends and uh you know we just we always cross paths over the years and there's uh one specific moment uh, I can remember in 2010, I believe, we were in Australia on the Soundwave Festival, and Mike was either with Tomahawk or Faith No More. I, that's why I always confuses me which band it was. But we were at this place called the Cherry Bar. I know the Cherry Melbourne. Bar well. Great bar. I've yeah, had some good nights uh, in there. Yeah, on ACDC Lane. Yeah. And, uh, they put up the and Bon we, Scott statue like the week after I was there. Um, oh. That's like a new thing that they put up like a couple of years ago, but it was literally the week after oh. I left, they erected the statue. I was like, damn it. But yeah, I know exactly the spot. I love it. Yeah, obviously great bar, great rock and roll bar. And uh, me and Mike and Frankie Bella were sitting in this back room. It was super packed in there, but we were sitting in some room in the back and it was really quiet and we were just drinking whiskey and I got drunk enough at some point to drunkenly say to Mike, we got to work together someday. Someday you and I are going to, we're going to do something. I like all 29 bands that you have. Let's (laughs) do one more. You know, like we got to do something together. And he just, you know, smiled at me over his glass with, you know, with this look in his eye going, we will, we will. So, you know, cut to last year when he asked me to be a part of Mr. Bungle. And I actually said to him, is, does this have anything to do with that conversation we had nine years ago in, in Melbourne? He's like, what are you talking about? He had no memory of that. So I'm like, never mind, never mind. <laughs> That's just, I did wishful thinking in my brain that this was your master plan yeah, in yeah. 2010. <laughs> <laughs> what about the record itself? Did you familiarize yourself with that back in the day? Did you heard that back in like 86? Yeah, I had a copy. Um, I used to tape trade quite a bit in the early 80s and uh someone had sent me a copy of that and yeah I, my initial i remember hearing it and thinking well i really like how noisy it is because I, there's a lot of stuff i was listening to in the world of hardcore or extreme metal at the time that was just kind of very noisy type of music and um and i really liked that vibe of it whether or not it was just because they were recording it on a, a crappy little four track and they didn't know what they were doing, it, whether they were trying to make it sound like that or not. I, I, I really liked the feeling and the attitude of it. And I also really liked the idea that, well, this is this band is called Mr. Bungle and they're playing this insanely brutal, noisy music, crazy riffs and arrangements. And, and they're called Mr. Bungle. So they obviously have a sense of humor. And I, I remember really appreciating it. And then, when OU818 came out, obviously not that long after, I don't know, was it maybe a year or two after I had gotten the first demo, Raging Wrath, uh, 
then OU818 came out, and then you could see they were already on the, this kind of more of a path that has a direct line into the first Bungle record that came out in 91, because um, I, I think he was like, was Squeeze Me Macaroni on that demo. But anyway, I was a fan from the demo stage. And then, of course, Mike joins Faith No More. And initially, I was like, that's the same guy from those Bungle cassettes? Like, he can sing like that? And and uh, and then when the first Mr. Bungle record came out, it was like, forget it. Like, just, you know, completely mind-blowing. And um, I've been a fan forever. I've been a fan of Bungle. I've been a fan of uh, Mike's other bands. I've been a fan of Trey and Trevor's other projects. It's, um, it's a, just an unbelievably unbelievable situation for me to be in that I got asked to be a part of this. It's just, I can't, I can't express that enough that it's just so crazy that, uh, I'm, I'm on a, I played on Mr. Bungle record and essentially in, in the band. It's nuts. Yeah. 2020 hasn't all been bad then. <laughs> no, no. Well, this actually happened in 19. So, but yeah, we did, we did make the record this, this year. We played the shows and made the record back in, February so no it hasn't been all bad you mentioned humor there and that's obviously a big part of you know I think your story as well and you know with certain projects um anthrax as well to a large extent but certainly with SOD and like there's definitely that similar kind of um I guess not shocking because that's the wrong word but provocative let's say kind of like poking fun you you and Mike as lyricists I I think are both not afraid to have fun with your lyrics not take yourselves too seriously have a kind of a wicked sense of humor about some of the stuff that you do do you bond over art in that regard I think so yeah I think there is definitely a like-mindedness, um, not even not just with Mike, but everybody involved. Uh, um, I think we all look. We all come from the same place. We were all listening to the same bands between '82 and '86 in our like formative years as musicians and songwriters and band guys. Uh, we were all listening to the same shit. Um, who would those have been Scott? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, if you look at when we were putting the set list together for the shows back in February and we, you know, Mike said, well, look, we're going to need to fill the set out a bit because if we just play the album, it's going to be 56 minutes or whatever. So, you know, that's too short. So we should add some covers. And then we started talking about covers and we very quickly realized we were all on the same page because all the ideas that were, we were on like a group text and everyone was throwing ideas in and they were all like this. It was the same thing. It was all either uh, thrash crossover or hardcore punk stuff between 82, 86. So it was everything from uh, Circle Jerks and Corrosion of Conformity to the Cro-Mags and uh, uh, this band called Siege or the Crumb Suckers or uh, um, uh, SOD. Um, I think I'm missing a couple of the covers we did, but it was all, it was all the same stuff. It was all the same world. And we were all, we were all listening to this stuff in the same years. And it was all so important to us as, uh, as musicians. And then, you know, even some of the other bands that we didn't cover, but bands like possessed bands, like merciful fate, um, bands like suicidal tendencies, uh, Exodus, of course, Slayer. Uh, um, we were all listening to the same shit. And I think, you know, we all kind of grew up on, I mean, of course, before that, Motorhead, Maiden, Priest, 
stuff. But yeah. specifically from 82, 86, the exploited, that's who I was not thinking of before, GBH, discharge, um, all this stuff. We all we all came from the same place, so it kind of makes sense that we all have a very similar attitude, I think, towards uh, the way we approach songwriting. Uh, you know, it just makes sense. I guess I dare I say it as well, like the way you view the world, that sense of humor and outlook and attitude, like beyond just the, the songwriting, but just to your personalities, right? Because I think when you grow up with the same cultural reference points, there's a commonality there, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We, we all have very similar similar outlooks and beliefs and uh, acro- across the board. We all have extremely similar senses of humor. Uh, it, in this, you know, in, in Bungle, even though, you know, it's not like I grew up with these guys and I haven't been hanging out with them for 40 years, but we were all thrust in a room together to start rehearsing this material. And then you're in close quarters with, with each other for a month straight between rehearsal and the shows and the recording of the album. And uh, it couldn't have been more seamless and more comfortable because you know we all we all love the same shit and we all very much have the same sense of humor which obviously it, whatever your world is whatever your business is whatever you do in your life uh being able to have that in common with somebody uh, you know of course makes all all social inter- interaction that much easier it's interesting as well, I think, because I think now everything is so oversaturated and because everything is so readily available, you don't really have subcultures or tribes in that same way anymore. I don't think you might disagree, but I feel like those, you know, up until the internet, I guess, really, and streaming, like you had groups of people that grew up with the same TV shows, the same bands, the same reference points, and, and you form bonds through those, whereas now it's kind of just like you can get everything anytime, and so there's not those same groups in that way. Does that make sense to you? It's true. Oh, it makes total sense. Yeah, uh, uh, 100%. You know, you 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 had a, you had a look for shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know? pre-internet in the pre-internet days you know it it just wasn't as easy to to be a part of something you know you had to put a little sweat equity into stuff um you know it was just a different world hey you know for whether that's it's better or, or not i that's I, I don't really know honestly um, but it's definitely different it, it's definitely different yeah. yeah i mean look uh uh don't get me wrong uh, i love I listen to more music in my life and since uh, streaming became a thing when I, I learned how to use it and I've got Sonos speakers in my house and I could have any song pretty much in the history of recorded music yeah. <laughs> playing in my house whenever I want at the, at the touch of a button as long as the Wi-Fi is working. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. Having that luxury and that convenience, uh, does it does it make humans lazy probably but um but it's also you know, cool me, as, <laughs> yeah as who i am right now in my life um i like being able to like today my wife and i were talking about what was that guy's name he was that crazy kind of horror metal dude from new orleans that we used to put on and I was, we looked at damien storm and then i was able to just in five seconds pull up zeke zombies from damien storm and play it and it's just like god damn that's like that's why technology was invented. So we could listen to this <laughs> crazy horror metal on October 30th. 
<laughs> well, with TV and film as well, obviously, as a TV and film nut like yourself, you can access all these movies and great TV shows, and there's certainly a lot of positive. And obviously, you know, when you can reap the rewards and and access all that stuff, as you say, at the, the touch of a button, that's yeah, a cool I think, thing. I think for, I, you know, look, I, I, I see it through my son, or I see it through... Uh, other people I know that have, you know, uh, children who are maybe even older than my son, like teenagers. And I see, you know, how they react and how they work with what's at their fingertips and the ability to filter, you know, and to filter out what you want. And, uh, you know, I guess it's in, in some way, it's the same as, as a kid, me going to the store and looking at all the magazines and deciding, well, I'm going to buy that magazine because that one has the bands that I want and that one over there doesn't or going to the record store and before they had heavy metal sections and just literally buying records because the album cover seemed like it was going to uh, contain an album that had the music I liked. I mean, that's, I bought the first Maiden album in 1980 I had never read a word about them. I knew nothing about the band. I was flipping through the rack at the Music Box record store in Queens, and uh, I saw Eddie on the cover, and I said, well, that's got to be good. (laughs) And I bought it, and I brought it home, and I was not disappointed. So, you know, uh, being able to filter, filter the content, you know, and I, I think that's what the kids these days, you know, I think, learn how to do pretty quickly because I see it with my son with the you know, music he likes and doesn't like and his ability to kind of wade through the trash to get to what he wants is, you know, he, he's got it wired. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Uh, Obviously, you and Dave have probably known each other for forever. Was this the first time you'd worked on a record in the studio together? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's another plus to this whole thing. Um, Dave and I have known each other since 1985. I've been... I've been a 
friend and a fan of his for so long. And uh, yeah, uh, yeah, obviously we've played shows together. We've toured together. Uh, we jammed together on the big four shows at the end of the night. Yep. And we would jam backstage together in the dressing rooms. But no, this is the first time we've actually been in an actual band uh, together and made a record together. So for me, even, you know, that experience to, to get to, to get to be in a room and watch how Dave works and get to be a part of that and, and, you know, and have him drumming behind me. I've been, been very lucky in my life as far as bands go and the drummers I've worked with. I've, you know, considering I've had Charlie behind me pretty much my whole career. And now I get to make a record with Dave Lombardo and even in the damn things I've had Andy Hurley as my drummer and, you know, it's, uh, I've been very lucky to have amazing drummers sitting behind me my whole life. Yeah, and you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with, aren't you? And to be surrounded by the exactly. best, that elevates your game, yeah. doesn't it? A hundred percent. It's a total challenge because, you know, you know that you've got Lombardo back there and he's going to bring it. So, you know, damn it, I better, I better, I better be a hundred percent. Well, these tunes as well, man, like these are ferocious monsters of songs. Uh, obviously, you're no stranger to putting in the work when it comes to, you know, speed and agility and all these things and going at it hard. But even by your standards and by Dave's, like these songs are next level, aren't they? They're long, they're complex, they're brutal. Um I wonder if you could kind of talk to me about the, I guess, the process of going into the studio with all these guys and going into the Mr. Bungle creative world compared to the world you've been in before and how it was, you know, bringing these songs to life with those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I will admit it was, it was quite daunting initially when, when they first asked me to be a part of it. And so the first thing I did, cause I said to Mike, I said, you know, I have the tape somewhere in storage, but I, I, I mean, it would literally take me a month to find it and he goes oh, you, he goes just go on youtube it's, people have uploaded that that thing for years so i went straight to youtube and listened and you know of course sonically it it sounds terrible so i wrote mike back and i said i'm never going to be able to figure out these songs I'm, i i can't make heads or tails out of some of these riffs everything's so fast and the sound quality is terrible and, and he's like oh no no don't worry don't he goes just, you know, I was just saying, go listen to it. He said, Trevor and Trey are going to make new demos of everything because even we don't know what the hell we were doing <laughs> on a lot of that stuff. So they're figuring it all out and they're going to put demos together for all of us to, to relearn it. And I was like, oh, good. <laughs> so so then they started sending me, you know, the demos of the stuff. And um, I th they had it planned they had like they had it planned out pretty well because it started out like I think the first song they sent me was Anarchy Up Your Anus and I'm like, <laughs> Okay, this is pretty I get it, you know, it's like two minutes, you know, it's fast and everything, but this is nothing like this is nothing crazy, basic kind of hardcore crossovery kind of suicidal feeling, slayerish, like, I got this. You know, this feels real familiar to me, easy, just a couple of riffs, right? And uh, so I got that one down and I, I, I emailed and I said, Hey guys, you know, I, I got it. I could, I could play this one backwards and forwards, man. I'm, and I was feeling really good about myself and the, cool, cool. We'll have another one to you in a day or two. And then I think they sent like raping your mind and I'm like, Oh, cool. <laughs> a little bit more to sink my teeth into it's, you know, it's, it's like five and a half, six minutes. There's more going on. Wait a minute. There's a lot more going on. 
right? So that one took me a couple of, you know, a few days to really kind of wrap my head around. I'm like, wow, there's a lot of parts in this song. And parts don't really repeat all that often. And, and uh, the arrangement's kind of weird. And slowly but surely, <laughs> as they send me songs, they did it on purpose. I even asked them, I said, you know, I'm noticing a pattern here. Every time you send me a song, it's harder yeah. to learn than the previous one. And, and Trey was like, yeah, you, you, you caught on, huh? Because by the, <laughs> and when you get so to they, like they, mathematics they, and you're like, fucking hell. <laughs> yeah. Well, mathematics wasn't even, it wasn't even finished. That was one that they never even finished back then. So that was one of the last ones they sent because they needed to finish like writing it and putting it back together. That and the racist, which at least Erasis is the the most traditionally arranged song on the record. Um, but Sudden Death, that's the one. Um, I think they sent me that one. Trey was like, I'm going to send you Sudden Death now. I feel like you're warmed up. And, you know, that's the one that's just, I mean, it's seven, seven and a half minutes, whatever it is. Um, I, ca- I, I counted. I, I sat there and I listened to it and I had a pen and a, a piece of paper and I, went through it like four or five times. And I, I think I counted that I'm literally changing things that I'm doing on the guitar, like 93 times Fucking throughout hell. the song. <laughs> and uh, so it's, it definitely seemed like quite the mountain to climb to learn that one. And uh, um, so what I did was I learned it two minutes at a time. I, I, I decided there's no way I'm ever going to just be able to remember this arrangement um, you know, straight through. Um, but, uh, so I took it two minutes at a time. I would learn two minutes, uh, play it over and over again until I could nail it. And then I would jump into the next two minutes and then I would put them together. So then I had four minutes and so on and so on. Um, so yeah, it was, it was definitely a, a very intense learning curve. And I, I was, I started way early though. I mean, I gave myself four or five months before we were even going to get together as a band. So, because I, it was really important to me to do this stuff, not just justice, but I wanted to walk in, you know, and I, I just wanted to be perfect. I just felt like this is a challenge and I'm walking in a room with Mike, you know, with like the maestro, like I want to walk in there and, uh, you know, I just, I want to be perfect. And um, I, you know, I, I worked really, really, really hard at it. I, I will say it, it was a, uh, really intense my right arm actually is still fucked up from all the playing i i was doing last fall learning this stuff and i actually did develop arthritis in the joint on my ring finger on my left hand um because of this record so that's kind of like my my badge of honor (laughs) amazing so it sounds like real hard work but a lot of fun as well and they're the best aren't they when it's when it is you, you have to bust your ass to hit that level of quality which you're striving for but the process of getting there is you know joyful and creative and and exactly why you do what you do oh yeah and you know being able to play these songs now the way i can play them um yeah it it's so much fun to to play these things it's you know obviously we've been rehearsing because of the live stream and uh so yeah it's um it's a lot of fun uh, whose idea was it to include an SOD song? I'm presuming that was Mike coming to you and saying, hey, do you want to stick one of these on there? Yeah, Mike, when we were talking about cover songs uh, initially for the live show, he said we have to do an SOD cover. And uh, I was like, yeah, sh- sure, of course. And and uh, 
I said, what song do you want to do? And he's like, I don't know. I, I like them all. And I said, well, me too. <laughs> so you, you tell me. And, and, uh, and then he came back with, what if we did speak English or die and, and change it to speak Spanish or die? Because, you know, we'd be basically poking the bull uh, because, you know, we all felt very similar, similarly about uh, the current administration's, uh, you know, uh, uh, immigration policies. Yep. And uh, we thought speak Spanish or die would be a, uh, a a good way to flip a middle finger at it all. And you've got Dave with his Cuban heritage back there on the kit as well. Yes, yes, exactly. I don't know if you saw, but I think he, he posted like a, a Spanish uh, thing on Facebook or something about the bungalow record today, which was pretty awesome. I haven't seen that yet. No, I'll have to, I'll have to check that out. What do you think is going to happen in the next week or so, Scott, with your upcoming election which is it's obviously probably the biggest one in your lifetime would you say right yeah for sure um yeah you know it's uh, uh it's it's frightening it's definitely it's a lot of anxiety um you know i i'd like to think i'd like to think the country has uh come to its senses and even people that i i could understand what happened in 2016 uh, I understand it. Uh, um, I was not a fan of Hillary's either, but Hillary versus Trump, um, uh, there was no way. I mean, even not being a fan of hers, there was no way I wanted him. Look, I'm a New Yorker. I grew up in New York. That jackass, that fucking buffoon, orange-faced clown idiot, he's been around my whole life as a New Yorker. That guy's been nothing but an idiot and a joke my whole life. And now this guy, this game show host, is going to run the country? Well, no, not it's not my president. And I just wish more of the people who really felt that he was going to be this guy who was going to come in and change things and shake things up and he's going to do things his way and he's a great businessman. Maybe they should have done a little bit more research or I just wish they would have lived in New York in the 80s and the 90s. And uh, then they would have known that this guy – is not that guy. You know, he was a uh, he was a facade put up by a couple of evil geniuses, uh, knowing that we're we're now going to uh, take over this country and run it the way we want to, and we've got this puppet. Um, but uh, yeah, I understand why it happened in '16. I I wouldn't be able to understand how it could happen again. So I, I I'm uh, I'm very hopeful. I'm 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 very hopeful that things will change. Fingers crossed. And as you say, like, you know, he was a figure in the city of New York for, for years before the rest of the world knew him. And was he always kind of hated by the people of New York? He's a joke. He's a slumlord. He's a scumbag. He's a racist from a, a family of racists. Uh, just, yeah, horrible. His dad's horrible the scariest human. looking man I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. He's a horrible human with zero empathy, does not give a fuck you know, and that's the thing, you know, these p- people that are like, they follow him like a cult, his base that follow him like a cult and, uh, you know, and they think he's their savior and and he could give less of a fuck for these people, you know, uh, and I understand people feel disenfranchised and people feel underrepresented, you know, they feel like they have no representation in government. Well, I'm sorry to tell these people, but just because this guy says mean things about the, the establishment or he says 
mean shitty things about the people they don't like, it doesn't make him a good president. He's just a fucking asshole. And that's why they like him. And, uh, you know, he could give a fuck about anybody, about anyone, any of these, his base or anyone. He does not give a shit. Um, he doesn't care. And uh, I wish people could just see through that, uh, you know. And uh, I don't know how they were able to pull this off. It's, I guess, eventually sometime in our lifetime, you know, books and documentaries will be done about this. And um, maybe, <laughs> maybe they'll be able to explain it to me. Yeah, it's a crazy time. Do you feel as uh, a creative person and as a father, I guess there may be two separate camps, but do you feel optimistic and hopeful about the future? I always do. I'm, a, I'm an optimist uh, at heart. It's just kind of who I am. I've always been that guy uh, my whole life. So um, I will always look for the best in people first. That's why even even with all the division that's that's happening in this country and has been happening for a long time, I, it's not something that I, I I will ever use to just prejudge other humans. I, I feel like there's always a way, and there's 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 always there's always a way to to make contact with other people. There's there's always a way there's always a way to you know bridge that gap and find something in common and 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 find a way to communicate and connect with other people, regardless of your, of your beliefs in anything, whether it's politics or religion or whatever, the, the movies you like, the books you read, the food you like. Um, I, 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 think, I think there's always a way to communicate. And I think many people uh, on either side <laughs> uh, uh, here in America feel that same way. And, and I truly believe that it is the politicians that are trying to keep that from happening or putting up this div divisive wall, doing everything they can to keep people from actually communicating. And uh, I find that extremely frustrating because, um, you know, that that's why they call it politics. There's, there's a reason that it's called politics. Uh, you know, I, I'm not sitting here like saying that I'm some huge fan of, you know, uh, of, of the uh, Democrats either. I, I, I politicians inherently, are generally pieces of shit, but sometimes you have. I really feel like you have to understand where there there is. I guess I hate to use the cliche, but a lesser of two evils. And and uh, you know, I think it's quite obvious this time around how that works. So, um, but yes, to answer your question, I I am an optimist. It's funny, isn't it? That is basically when you boil it down. If you're a realist, that is the option with a lot of democracy, isn't it? Is the lesser of two evils, and you're like, for fuck's yeah, sake, I mean, that's I'm, the best. I can't sit here and tell you that one guy that 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 if Biden was to win and take office, that uh, you know we're going to wake up uh, the next morning and the sun's going to come out and COVID's going to be gone and and the economy is going to be better than it ever has been and teachers' salaries are somehow gonna be higher and uh you know what i mean it's like yeah. all these things all these things take a lot of time and they take people that you know people really do have power whether they believe it or not and and people can make change happen and i, I would really like to see more of that happen in the future because i i feel like the one thing one of the many things people forget is these people work for us trump works for us and he walks around like he's the fucking king. He thinks he's the boss. He's not the boss. 
he works for the people of the United States and people forget that. And we could fucking hold him. We could hold his hand to the fire if we really wanted to. And, uh, uh, that, and that's what really needs to happen with all politicians. We need, their hands need to be like put to the flame and put to the test to do what's right for this country. As we approach the end, I just wanted to get a few more thoughts on you on on Mike and what makes him a unique, special, creative talent in the world of of music. What do you think it is about that dude that you know makes him special? You know, he's a complete original. Um, I think that's the you know. To me, that's the highest compliment you could pay any artist, whatever it is they do, whether it's music or painting or acting or writing. Or um, he's he's a complete original in every sense of the word, whether it's just sonically his his instrument, his voice, which he uses in ways that nobody nobody else did before him. Um, you know, you, you could argue that without without Mike Patton, pretty much every metal band that came along in the 90s, or I should say the NU metal bands of the 90s. I mean, <laughs> yeah. every single one of them is a disciple of, of Mike Patton's. Uh, and without Faith No More, most of those bands don't exist. Um, you know, he he's just a complete original, and he's got an incredible musical brain for someone who doesn't really play instruments. He can but he's, it's not like he could play guitar like Trey or drums like Dave or, you know, uh, so on and so on, or saxophone like John Zorn or, you know, on and on and on. But he's got it all in his brain and he could, he knows how to get that across. He knows how to conduct it. He knows how to compose it mentally. And, uh, so he, he just got this unbelievable musical brain and, uh, his, he just literally lives eats, breathes, sweats, bleeds creativity, everything he does, um, you know, uh, and for me, like, like I said, I've been a fan forever. And to, so to be in that circle and to be in there behind the scenes, watching him work as a fly on the wall, even sometimes just sitting in the room, watching what he does is it's just such a privilege to, to be there and get to be a part of that and absorb it. Uh, it's amazing. What about on a personal level as well? Because he's such an enigmatic, mysterious dude. Like, without obviously, get, you know, divulging the nature of his character. Like, on a personal level, getting to hang out with him over the years, and particularly getting to know him a bit better over the process of working with him on this. Um, what's he like as a guy? I don't know because we're not allowed to make eye contact, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I don't. He may, we have to wear these name badges because he doesn't. He, why would he know our names? He's got bigger things to think about. And um, <laughs> no, I mean, look, he's. I've known him a long time. Even the, you know, it's not like again, like I said, it's not like we were hanging out as bros over the last thirty years. But we would always have a good time when we'd get to see each other and have a conversation and you know, outside of the, sometimes the noise of being in our band. And um, uh, he's a very, very pleasant, well-read uh, uh, guy. We connect on so many different things. He he really knows his restaurants. He loves food. Um, and uh, he really knows his food. He really knows his coffee. He is a, with between him and Lombardo and, me, actually, all of us in the band, but him and Dave especially are really, really like they're like they are such coffee nerds. It's amazing. Um, so that's a pleasure for me because I am one as well. Um, you know, I, I love that Mike is 
considered to be that and is such an enigma in ways. And a lot of it these days is just because of the fact that he doesn't have a social media presence. Yep. You know, like we basically made him get an Instagram through this process just so there would be that outlet so stuff could get posted on a Mike Patton Instagram. You know, but it's not like he's not sitting around posting on Instagram. Um, so, you know, it's, 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 it's great these days that somebody still has that mystique and still hasn't, you know, opened the book wide open. You know, I, look, I'm, I'm all over the place on social media. I've written books about myself. I, my life is an open book. Yeah, there's personal things and there's a lot about my life people don't know that I keep out of things. But still, I'm certainly more uh, present and available than Mike. You know what I mean? And, and I think it's really important that there are still people in this in this world of music that aren't as available, and I think it's great that uh, that that Mike is like that. People just don't know; they they don't know, and that's awesome. Just as we get to the end, then Scott, anything else you can divulge uh, regarding plans for either Anthrax or other projects you've got going on? Obviously, there's been a lot of downtime this year to to create and write. Are there any more, you know? releases or, or projects on the horizon for you in the coming months? Um, there's nothing, nothing imminent, you know, obviously the bungle thing, we're doing everything we can, uh, in lieu of being able to actually go out and play shows because that was the original plan was, uh, we were going to go do more shows around the planet, uh, around the album release. And of course that all got thrown in the trash. So, um, Will that still happen? Do you think if things return, like you know, next year or twenty twenty two, do you think that'll be something that we you see through, or will the moment have passed? Do you think by then? No, I, I think. Well, it's kind of you know, not to give away too much, but uh, it, there was definitely a discussion at some point about the release of this album and do we release in COVID or do we sit on it and hold it and we all decided that because of how special this is and how different it is, it really wasn't something that we needed to worry about. Okay. Well, you know, we can only do this the old school way and put it out and go on tour. And I think the way this works, we could play shows whenever. Yeah. So it wasn't like you had to have the record to go play shows and or vice versa. Um, so, and we all really want to do this. We all really enjoy it so much, and uh, and the want to do it is there, and uh, that's really all that matters. Um, I, I think w- when the time comes and we can go out and play shows again, yes, I, I think I could safely say at some point there will be uh, bungle shows. That's great to hear. Good times. There's hope for us all. Yeah, and Anthrax, I'm sure, will be working on material and, and looking to put out a record again when you can when you can tour it, perhaps? We had already started working on a record last year. Uh, things slowed down once all this happened, uh, but have, have ramped back up again. So, yeah, you know, we don't, we don't have a, a plan as far as a spe- specific idea of when we would want to have a record out yet, but we, d- we, we do have a plan of we would like to get all the material we've been working on um, which we have quite a few arrangements and uh, together, so it's just a case of us being able to get in a room and actually start playing it because that's 
when our songs really become our songs is when we're in a room as a band uh, playing them. So, um, we, yeah, we just want to be able to move forward and, and, you know, and get it finished and then have an idea, okay, you know, maybe in a couple of months when, um, in a couple of months when we see what's going on with COVID, maybe even that'll give us a better idea. You know, if we're sitting there with 12, 15 songs written, uh, we could say, all right, well, maybe it's time to get in the studio or, you know, who knows what's going on on the planet. Nobody has any answers. Uh, there's no rush. So I don't know. It's, it's also up in the air. Right it now. is. But we do, we do have some great material. So, you know, that's another one of the many positives over the last eight months. Hell yeah. Um, so thanks so much for your time, man. Really enjoyed chatting. Uh, congratulations on a fucking brilliant record. Um, and I hope that the, the Halloween stream over the weekend is a great success and you have loads of fun. And uh, yeah, man, look forward to some live shows of, of the Anthrax and Mr. Bungle variety in the new world when all this shit's blown over. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Cheers, brother. Take care. Bye. <laughs> Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.